0: My name is Daisy O'Rourke. Do you have a message for me to pass on to the living? Family. I'm DC O'Rourke and this is Hauntingly Yours, a podcast for the paranormal. Take a deep breath now and let it out. Relax, free your mind, forget about your day. Your favorite phantom bard is here for you once again with yet another set of haunting tales. Feel like a little trip? Because we are going to head over to Normandy, France. And within Normandy, you will find a small commune known as Les Within Les you will find the Forest of Lyons. Now, within this forest, you can come across an old Cistercian monastery called Abbey de Mortimer, or as we would call it in English, Mortimer Abbey. It's a beautiful park, absolutely beautiful, and it's become quite the tourist attraction over the years. The place boasts medieval festivals, reenactments, plays, breathtaking scenery, a museum, fly fishing by reservation, and my personal favorite, ghost tours. Mortimer Abbey is steeped in history, and some of it, guys, is Honestly, quite haunting. It really and truly is. But before I go any further, I have to mention something very important because this episode is all about a location in France and I don't want to offend any of my French speaking listeners. I am from the United States of America. I speak English, I speak Spanish. Um, I do know a little French, but i it's barely enough to get me around the streets of Paris if I need directions or, or if I'm looking for a good restaurant. That's it. That's the end of it. I won't pretend to speak French or take on any kind of ridiculous French accents during this episode. If I should, however mispronounce or butcher a french word i do beg of your forgiveness in advance thank you without further ado though let's jump right into it a thousand years ago this area we're talking about the forest of lyons was a wild and secretive place Why, it was inhabited by just a handful of hermit monks living in makeshift shelters. This was a country full of nothing but the wind in the trees and the sounds of crickets and grasshoppers. It was this type of solitude that brought 12th century Abbot Alexandre from beaumont la Parot to the valley, seeking to protect his monks from worldly diversions. Before you know it, the abbey would be created. The name Mortimer would come from Mare, meaning Dead Sea, and a dank swamp which surrounded the area called Fulebrock. and that stream also flowed along the valley. The first royal to invest in Mortimer Abbey was none other than King Henry I of England, who, as it would turn out, was also the Duke of Normandy and the fourth son of William the Conqueror. He gave his approval for a community in 1184. His generosity was cut short, though, at Lyons-la-Forette just a year later when he died from eating a surfeit of lampreys. For those who don't know, lampreys were a type of jawless fish. Apparently, eating too much of them? No bueno. Never fear, though. Noble patronage continued, and this was all thanks to Henry's powerful daughter, Empress Matilda, and Henry's grandson, Henry II. The royal families, hey, they were no dummies. They understood it was smart thinking to strengthen their authority with the support of God and his trusted representatives on earth. Ponds were dug out, bees were tucked into walls, and the Cistercian monks lived well on perch, pigeon eggs, and honey. Why does that sound delicious? Construction ended up taking many decades as they relied heavily on donations. A chapter house was completed in 1154, two hostelleries and an infirmary were later added. The imposing nave was built around 1160 and cloisters in the same decade. Eventually, the finished church was consecrated on March 8, 1209 by Robert Poulon, Archbishop of Rouen. By the 15th century, Mortimer was home to hundreds and it was now the most powerful abbey in Normandy. Good management, income from their lands, some as far away as England, and generous gifts gave security, even as the hundred years war swirled all over over the place. By the time it was over in 1453, the abbey was no longer under the English crown, but French. Then in the 17th century, politics gave the role of Abbot to men who did not live at Mortimer. They drained its prosperity into their own coffers, and the monks could only watch as their beloved building, made paris leaf from flint and limestone, began to crumble. The abbey's condition became such an embarrassment, the Parliament of Rouen was forced to act. A new refectory was constructed over old cellars and the columbaire restored. But Mortimer, eh, it did not fully recover. By the end of the 18th century, just four monks lived under its leaking roofs. Then came the final disaster. In 1789, revolution swept across France. Religion was out of favor. Churches and abbeys were stripped of their wealth. The humble monks at Mortimer were thought to be harboring a secret fortune. Perhaps to the poor of the valley, they were. One day in 1790, a band of revolutionaries arrived at the abbey. They hunted down the monks and dragged them to the old cellar. Here, the last living remnants of Mortimer's gentle brotherhood were massacred, their blood mingling with wine from broken barrels a scene of true and despicable horror. The abbey and its farm were sold on March 31st, 1791 as a national asset by the new government for the total sum of 84,200 livers. Monsieur M. Duval, a merchant grocer from Adelie, became owner of the mill, Lands and Meadows. Cloister buildings, bells, sacred vases, ornaments, and furniture. He cheerfully sold the abbey stones to builders, abandoning the property when it stopped turning him a profit just a few years later. From 1808 onward, the abbey changed between more sympathetic hands, losing some buildings while maintaining others until it was bought later in 1863, by a wealthy Parisian man, M. Delarue, who moved in with his wife and two children. It didn't take them very long at all to discover that this building of theirs was very, very troubled. The Delarue family were not alone at Abbé de Mortimer. The old buildings were having trouble letting go of their past. An old house can expect to have a few odd noises and an abundance of shadows. In the beginning, that's the way it was, too. Over the course of time, I'm talking months, things became increasingly more unsettling and unexplainable. The events, they only escalated also. One evening, while strolling across the lawns, some young people of the house saw a soft, ethereal light from the old library, which remained locked. They assumed it was their mother who was unable to sleep. Then, as if their mother had invisible hands and could move lightning fast, all latches to the building unfastened themselves. All handles were turned, windows and doors were slung open the young people managed to break into the library to discover there was no one actually there. Paintings in the corridor on the first floor were turned to the wall, though. Either that, or they had fallen to the floor without a broken string or loose nail. They looked around, completely and totally dumbfounded. Electrics in the building started to fail. Hushed whispers could be heard echoing off the walls, and Hurried footsteps could be heard moving down the empty corridors. Afraid of being caught, the young people went back to the house. The next day, they asked their mother what she had been doing in the library the night before and why she was behaving so strangely. She politely informed them that she had been sleeping soundly all through the evening and she had no idea what on earth they were talking about. One room at the abbey was especially unsettling. This was the pink bedroom that looked out over the lawns towards the Colombier. We know about the room from M. Lardu, who became the abbey's owner in the 1960s. He experienced a terrifying amount of ghostly happenings here. So many, in fact, that after hearing about the Delarue's exorcism, yeah, Exorcism, he traveled to Nice to speak with M. Delarue's daughter. The story he received well, it was as follows. A fiance of M. Delarue's son, Charles, came to stay and was given the pink room. It just so happened that this was the only room available. As the house became quiet for the night, her room, for some reason, did not. The poor girl was tormented by very creepy sounds as objects around her room seemed to come to life. She was found in the morning, pale, terrified, and brandishing the fire tongs at her alleged tormentors. She announced quite loudly she would never live in such a house as this, and immediately broke off her engagement. Her return to Paris was imminent. Delarue's daughter, a former nurse who served during World War I, the Great War, seemed very little concerned with the goings-on in the pink room. She told her father at one point, I was never afraid in the trenches. The pink room would soon be hers. It was always quiet for the most part, but years later, if you ever found yourself alone in there, you might become overcome with the strongest feeling of being observed. Apart from a coat that carefully unhooked itself and fell to the floor, she never did really recall feeling threatened. Her tune changed rather quickly. Late one evening, while looking out of her window lost in thought, a strange occurrence snatched up her attention. There on the lawn, down below, a full-fledged procession of monks clad in robes were gliding from the house towards the columbia. It was as if their feet weren't touching the ground. After that, it's rumored she didn't stay in the pink room. I can't imagine why. By 1921, the Delarues feared that a diabolical presence had moved into the place that they called home. There was something more lurking here than spirits of former monks. In desperation, they asked uh, Abbe Humboldt for another exorcism. Oh, did I not mention there have been a few at the Abbey? Well, Humboldt, he came in. He worked his magic and then went on his merry way. The exorcism was not entirely successful. The house settled. It became quiet for a bit, sure, but it did not last. A few months went by without anything really happening. Then all of a sudden, it it just imploded. Things were out of control with paranormal activity. Shadow people could be seen. Whispers could be heard. Doors would open and close on their own. It was enough to make the Dela insane. They had enough with the house, and they immediately put it up for sale. It sat on the market for a long time before anybody really decided they were even willing to take a look at it. And then finally, someone bought it. The spirit monks, though... They have continued to make their presence here at the Abbey over the course of time, and one actually saved the life of an English paratrooper in World War II. The soldier bailed out of the forest nearby as if he had been spotted by the enemy. As he was running for his life, a monk in brown robes quickly appeared, Almost out of nowhere, it took a hold of the soldier, ushering him to the safety confines of a resistance cell. The moment he let him go, however, he vanished into thin air. The soldier knew right there in that moment he had been saved by the ghost of a monk still doing God's work. Some years later, in nineteen sixty five, when mister Ledoux bought the abbey, alongside the dilapidated buildings, he inherited M. Lucian, a farm worker who slept in the basement. Asked if he wished to continue working at the Abbey, Lucian readily agreed. This was provided that he could be housed elsewhere, even if it was at his own expense. He explained that since his arrival at the Abbey, some half a dozen years before, he had been terrorized by nocturnal voices and noises galore. From 11 o'clock in the evening to 5 o'clock in the morning, the sound of spectral footsteps in the corridor above haunted him, not to mention the disembodied voices that he heard. He said, these steps in the hall at night, I hear them so well that they wake me up. It's been going on for years. I cannot take it anymore. For nothing in the world would I want to go back to sleep there. A nearby cottage was found for Lucian straight away, as Mr. LeDoux knew how active the house really was. If you can believe it, a total of eleven legends surround Abbé de Mortimer. As I have read these, I am more than willing to bet that some of these were not written down, but instead they were whispered into local folklore. I am, however, willing to bet that there is some grain of truth to them somewhere along the way. You just have to find that silver lining and follow it. These stories, though, they may not seem but... So awful as you walk around the park on a summer's day. But this is a forest valley, which is isolated from the wider world. In the past, cut off for days by non-passable winter roads. There are trees that stand here that have known centuries with old paths all around them. That have felt the weight of footfalls. Since the dawn of time, the sunlight bears down most welcoming among the ancient stillness of this place. Every once in a while, on a misty, moonlit night, an ethereal figure slips through the veil to remind us of a time long since forgotten. She saunters down to the pools, where she basks in what Mother Nature has provided for her. Here's a cautionary warning for you. If you encounter her while you are there, eh, I'd look away. And for good reason, too. They say this is the radiant Empress Matilda, and she can decide your future. This is all dependent on what color gloves she is wearing when you meet. Black gloves signifies great misfortune. White gloves, on the other hand, signifies a happy event in your near future. If you should see the Empress twice, though, guess what? You will be led to your ultimate demise. Is this really Empress Matilda that haunts the Abbey? If so, why? What reason does she have? I think that answer remains unclear. As it would turn out, Matilda died of natural causes at age 65 in Petite Quadri. She supposedly lays resting in a chapel within within Rouen Cathedral. There are stories that the Empress did, did live at the Abbey, though, for some time, due to the fact that she had a bit of a spat with her dad and, well, pissed him off to high heaven. Even then, You have to think about it. A woman? A woman living amongst chaste monks in the middle of a forest? uh, I'd say that's rather unlikely. Unless we're talking about some sort of new Fifty Shades of Grey type stuff. That's a different story. If you can believe it, there is only one tale of a werewolf, or Grash as they call it, in all of Normandy. This disheartening tale dates back to 1884 with a local hunter named Roger Sebarot. The expert hunter was out in the forest late one starless evening near Abbe de Montemar. As he moved along through the trees with his rifle held high, he listened to the sounds of his own breath. He waited patiently for any signs of life that weren't obviously human. Suddenly, he picked up on some labored breathing in the distance. He honed in on it. He crouched down and waited for the right moment. The rifle, as if it had a mind of its own, positioned itself in Roger's hands. It was ready to drop whatever animal this might be. No questions asked. The life form eventually emerged rearing two big yellow eyes that pierced the darkness of the night. Roger pulled the trigger and the creature let out a horrendous howl that echoed into the airwaves. He ran over to collect his prize and realized that what lied before him was a dog-like creature with the posture of a human. Within a few seconds of taking in its features, the thing transformed and revealed a human being, in its place. It was Roger's wife. Wow. Talk about never judging a book by its cover. In another fine tale from this area, we come across a goblin, which is simply an old Norman word for goblin, deep within the depths, the abbey there is a massive treasure hoard just waiting to be discovered be warned though there is a goblin who guards it he likes to disguise himself as a cat and will never stray too far from the treasure like any good cat the the goblin will take naps and when he does the treasure has been reported to reappear if you come across it I hope you have your running shoes on, and I expect a 10% finder's fee. I'm only kidding, of course. We could easily go on and on from there. Let's talk about the Abbey today instead. It's cared for by Jacqueline Carpenter-Cafan, who has a new approach to the ghostly goings-on. According to her, it's best to embrace them with open arms. The mysteries here are a gift, and they are in abundance to this very day. Why, a few years ago, a repairman was left alone in the Abbey. It was late one summer afternoon, and he was just here to complete a job. No sooner he had set down his tools to get to work, he heard for a few seconds what sounded like someone coming toward him. The footsteps were very loud and most distinctive. The repairman did a 360 around the entire room to find there was actually no one there. The entire area was incredibly chilly as well. He later confessed, It was the heavy steps of someone walking slowly and thinking. I really was very scared and even today, I do not know what to think about it. Delightfully spooky, isn't it? I love stories like that. From here we learn from a painter and heraldry specialist that the Abbey once employed that the place is undoubtedly a place where things not of this world take place. She knows better than most because she worked there for many, many years alongside the former owner of the site, who has unfortunately long since passed away. In her words, I'll never forget my last day there. What happened to me? Well, there's just no words for it. There's been a lot of speculation over the years as to what exactly happened. No one is for certain. Legend says she was doing some coat-of-arms work this particular day in the Abbey. She climbed high onto a ladder and reached for her subject that she needed to bring down and look over. Next thing you know, she lost her footing. She slipped backwards off the ladder. Here she was a good ten feet in the air, at least, and now she would surely fall to her death. She closed her eyes. She accepted the inevitable. As soon as she was about to hit the ground... A couple of pairs of hands reached out for her and miraculously broke her fall. They simply guided her the rest of the way down and gently placed her with her back against the floor. The painter and heraldry specialist laid in awkward silence for what seemed like forever. When she proceeded to open her eyes, she could clearly see two men dressed in brown robes smiling at her from ear to ear. Who were these men? Were they some of the actors, plain monks that once lived here ages ago? Whomever they were, they were now her saviors. That was for certain. The moment she went to open her mouth and thank them, the two saviors dissipated into thin air. She decided right then it would probably be best if she never returned. These are but a few of the many mysteries this lovely location has to offer. The monks who once lived here had to banish all comfort, yet the chapel behind their pantry somehow mysteriously remained heated throughout the year. Winter snow never has and never will remain long here. Vegetation has been growing earlier and earlier each year. I think some of these mysteries more than likely have logical explanations for them, such as the vegetation thing, eh, you could probably chalk that up to global warming. Then there are some mysteries, though, that you cannot even begin to wrap your mind around. You could go excavating and looking for answers, but unfortunately, that would not be permitted here at Mortimer Abbey. The many mysteries here just add to the overall charm of the place. The owner and caretaker believes in all of this so much that she has allowed various paranormal investigations throughout the years. Not to mention, she hosts annual ghost walks every September. If there is one thing that we can ascertain from this, I think it's the fact that the ghostly reputation of this historic gem is, without a doubt, very much intact. For more information on what Mortimer Abbey has to offer and how you can potentially visit, please check out www.abbey-bbey.com. De-Mortimer, D-E, M-O-R-T-E-M-E-R, period, F-R, backslash, E-N, backslash. The site is open every day from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. for your convenience. Be sure to check it out. It is well worth it, I imagine. Another location down and plenty more to go. What will our gracious Phantom Bard come up with next? Hmm. I guess you will just have to wait for the next episode. Guys and gals, places aren't the only things that can be haunted. People can. Objects and much more. Keep that in mind. I'm afraid that is all I have for you, though. If you enjoyed this episode, which I hope you did... Go check out the link tree for the show if you will, and follow along on the show's social media pages: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok, as well as Clubhouse. The official link is linktr.ee backslash hauntingly yours paranormal. Most importantly, don't forget to review and subscribe. This helps other people like yourselves find the show and join our para-family. Thank you all so much. New episodes are released every Monday. Until next time, I'm DC O'Rourke. I am and will remain, much like the spirits, hauntedly yours. (laughs) Okay. <laughs>